0: The next case, Your Honor, this morning is 22 1878, the United States versus Gary E. Leach. Counsel?
1: Good morning, and may it please the court. I'm Chrissy Damaso, and I represent the appellant, Gary Leach. I'd like to reserve one minute for rebuttal. You may. Thank you. The district court incorrectly concluded that Mr. Leach's case fell outside the mine run of cyber stalking offenses. Courts are, of course, free to vary upward from the guidelines, but only if some special characteristic attributable either to the offender or the offensive conviction serves to remove a given case from the mine run. This was a mine run case, and as such, Mr. Leach should have received a guideline sentence. The upper Well, the
0: district court... Excuse me, counsel. The district court gave a rather detailed explanation here, citing four factors which the uh, district judge felt removed this case This isn't a case where we've got no explanation of the upward variance. So the question then becomes, uh, what's what's, what's wrong with the district court's explanation? Why doesn't it withstand scrutiny?
1: Each of the four factors that the district court cited is either based on something that came from outside the record and in that Respect, I would specifically point the court to the first factor, which was the sexually based trauma, where the district court references um, recent research about PTSD that the government concedes was not within the record. Um, and the other factors were accounted for the guidelines, were inherent within the offense, and the district court did the, not. The, the
0: unusual power dynamic in this case was inherent in the, in the offense?
1: As the government, the government it
0: seems to me you can have cyber stalking, you could have a young man and an older woman, you could you know, that power dynamic, and the way it operated in this case seemed to me, under facts, to be absolutely unique to this situation.
1: Um, initially, I'll say that the government sentencing memo describes cyber stalking as being about power and control. That even from the government sentencing memo, there's a recognition that that is what this crime entails. I also think that if you look at other cases...
0: Excuse me, counsel. You know, it, it, with, with, with all due respect, that, that strikes me as rather superficial. Sure, cyber stalking is, is about power, but the power dynamic in each situation is bound to be different. And the power dynamic in this particular situation was to district judges' view Striking. And having read the record, I think I can understand why she felt it was striking.
1: I don't and think... He, to. Yeah, go ahead. I think looking at the other cyber-stalking cases, that impression is simply not borne out. For example, Ackle is a quite similar case where you, again, have... And in that case, you actually have... I, I'm
2: um, sorry. Uh, counsel, why does that matter? Um, that we might uh, think uh, that other cases should have uh, led the district court to another decision isn't really the test. As Judge Celia said, district court gave very good reasons here. They are supported by the record. Uh, uh, there, you say there's one piece of extra record evidence, but I frankly think that that was just pretty much common sense. And uh, so your argument cannot be based on comparison to other cases. It has to be based on what's unreasonable about the district court saying why, in its view, this was not a mine run
1: case. In order to determine to assess whether the district court was correct in finding that this was a mine run case, we have to look at what the mine run is. Um, I think that we've, there are three potential things you can look at to determine what the mine run is. I think you can look at the statute, which here the cyber stalking statute criminalizes a wide range of conduct, some of which is much more extreme than what was charged here. I think you can look at other cases. And when you look at those other cases, none of the factors cited by the district court take Mr. Leach's case outside of the mine run in comparison to what's happening in those cases. They all involve power dynamics, control, you know, serious right, let allegations. Me, let me say
3: something uh, that hasn't been mentioned. Judge Kelly, I'm looking at the addendum, page 17 of the sentencing hearing, uh, but she gave special consideration specifically to Jane Doe's statement uh, Of how she felt suicidal and and all her reaction and and the consequence of this isn't that sufficient for the variance? And again, we're talking about we're not talking about a huge, huge variance. This is a five-month variance from the top of the sentencing range. Isn't that sufficient, perhaps?
1: So, her Judge Kelly's comments about Jane Doe's statements are inextricably linked to this out-of-record information about PTSD. She says, based on these words of Ms. Doe, this is also on Addendum 17 and 18, and what we know about post-traumatic stress disorder, the government has conceded that this sort of recent research, you know, the court is citing something specific, that there's, um, in recent years, researchers have learned more and more about the broad spectrum of chronic harm.
2: If, if the victim and the abuse here was really quite bad, if the victim said, as a result, I was suicidal, for a long time. What does PTSD have to do with this? Are you saying the district court erred in thinking she was credible in saying what she said?
1: No, simply that the court's description of that factor is inextricably linked to out-of-record information. The way the district court is assessing... Why is
2: it inextricably linked? That was... Your assertion—I just questioned it. I don't think it's inextricably linked. The victim was very compelling in her description of why she was suicidal and the utter destruction of her psychologically that happened here.
1: The other thing I'd like it to know doesn't note-
2: matter whether. You Put a PTSD label on it or not.
1: The other thing I like, if
2: what she said is true, then that's a good reason.
1: This court has also noted explicitly that cyberstalking is an ugly crime. Mr. Leach yes. took responsibility for his actions. He acknowledged the harm that he had caused, and the fact that this cyberstalking crime, like many others, is is ugly. Does not take it automatically outside of the mind run. The harms that You're happen here. You're
2: equating ugliness and suicide.
1: No, there, the other all, other.
0: I, I, I think it was my opinion that, that that cyber stalking is an ugly crime, and it and it is. That's true of all cyber stalking. Right. Mm-hmm. But ugliness has many faces and many variations, and as Judge Lynch is continually pointing out, what happened in this in this case, I can easily understand why a sentencing judge would regard as as extreme. I, I mean, the, particularly the the suicidal language, and I and I also am taken aback by your assertion that that. That a judge is confined strictly to the four corners of the record. We expect judges to use their common knowledge and experience. If a judge were to, were to say, I, I'm taking into account on this sentence the fact that this occurred during the time of the pandemic when society was under special constraints. No one would bat an eye at that because that's common knowledge. And a judge is expected to take into account common knowledge. I think that Judge Kelly's remarks of PTSD fall somewhat in the same bucket.
1: I would argue that the court's remarks go beyond what would be common knowledge. I also would just like to say very. There- but
3: let, let me let me add again. I'll give you one minute to, to continue. But still, forget the PTSD. But you still have a victim. And again, I had the experience of. Many cases where victims testify, or, or you have different victims. You know, there could have been a victim in this case that complained to the FBI. The person was indicted. No psychological trauma. But here we have a human person, a victim, and the judge, Judge Kelly, can't simply ignore that. That's in the record. Uh, those consequences. And, and again, this is a very, as I said, this is a very, very slight variance. Uh, judge Kelly had ample leeway uh, to, to probably even go upward even more, but. She weighed that, and then she weighed, and 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 she even said at at, at the end of the sentence, she's weighing all the all the 35, 50, three A factors. So she's considering mitigating evidence. She's considering aggravating evidence. She's considering taking, uh the victim's situation. So again, I I, I again I, I can't see where where again this it, it, a you know unreasonable sentence in the variance.
1: I think where the, when the conduct in this case, and including the, which includes the impact on the victim, is compared to other cyber-stalking cases, this case simply does not move outside the mine run. Um, as to the other issues in my brief, I would like to rest on um, the arguments okay. raised in my brief. Thank
3: you. And you save one minute for rebuttal. Yes. Thank you. Let's hear then from yes. Ms. Eisenstadt for the government.
4: Um, good morning. May it please the Court Karen Eisenstadt for the government. Um, the district court here gave a detailed and thoughtful explanation for what was, as Judge Helpe pointed out, a relatively small upward variance. I think the court's explanation as to why these four factors took the case out of the mine run were completely reasonable and not an abuse of discretion, certainly not a plain error. As to the sexual trauma issue... It was always the elephant in the room in this case that this isn't just the cyber stalking and threats case. It is a sex offense case. And I think Jane Doe A's very powerful victim statement brought that to the forefront, that this isn't a just a case involving cyber stalking threats that have sexual content or threats of sexual actions, that, in fact, Jane Doe A was forced by the defendant to do sexual things to her body um, and that she suffered the types of trauma that come from that And as the district court pointed out, that is unusual in a cyber-stalking case that has no physical contact between the victim and um, the defendant. And actually, uh, when you look at the guidelines, it's clear that the guidelines don't anticipate that without physical contact between the defendant and the victim, that a defendant would suffer this type of personal physical sexual trauma that Jane Doe A testified that she did experience and she experienced not just once, but multiple times over 18 months um, of repeated contact and repeated sexual video calls that were coerced from her, and in which there were outrageous power dynamics in play where the defendant was denying the humanity of the victim and not just finding gratification from the forced sex acts, but actually finding gratification from the victim's suffering and the fact that the victim did not want to do those things. The defendant was forcing her to do so. The defendant also made a notice argument um, in his opening brief, which I don't think he argued about here, but just briefly, um, there what the, the notice there is no notice requirement for variances beyond avoiding un, unfair surprise as to the grounds for the variance and there was none here every single one of these four grounds were obvious aggravating factors to be considered at sentencing and if they weren't obvious enough from the facts of what the defendant did they became obvious certainly when the government raised them in its own sentencing arguments before the defense argued uh made counterarguments and in J. Doe A's victim impact statement, which came at the start of the first sentencing hearing.
0: Before you exhaust your time, uh, would you, would you turn your attention to the challenge to the supervised, uh, release condition? Uh, my initial question is about the standard of review, because when I look at the transcript of the sentencing hearing Uh, it appears to me that that, uh, the defendant uh,
4: did raise
0: a challenge to that uh, condition at at the uh, final sentencing hearing before the judge imposed it. Do you agree with that?
4: The defendant did make a general objection at the start of the second no, no, sentencing hearing.
0: No, I'm talking about an objection to that supervised release condition. And I'm talking about for the end of the final sentencing hearing.
4: Correct. And so there the, was even... Yeah, go ahead. Counsel made a general objection based on a mistake about what the record showed. Counsel said the record doesn't show anything about contact with minors. The government corrected that misstatement about the record... And once corrected, the district court asked the defendant if he wanted to respond to that. And not only did the defendant not renew the general objection previously made or make anything resembling his specific appellate argument about the nature of the contact not being sexual, et cetera, but actually then went to make a scope argument that presumes that some condition relating to minors was justified. Now the question was just how broad it should be. I mean, in that circumstance, the district court could have only understood that the defendant was withdrawing the original general objection to the condition because the record—it was based on a misstatement of the and,
3: record. And, and let me say this: the, the record is clear, and I, I believe there's no dispute that during the, the time of the cyberstalking with with the victim, he, the, the defendant, also had some contact with a minor. It, it, it was perhaps, yeah, there's no evidence that it, it was. Close to what, or similar to what happened to the victim, but within that that period, he was having access to minor through through through, through the internet.
4: That's correct. At this point, there's no. And that
3: no... should be, and under the law or the case law you, you you present in your brief, that should be sufficient for that condition.
4: That's and absolutely right. And this, right.
3: Is, and and it's, and let me also further ask: this is not a total prohibition. It's it's it's, it's a condition that if he's going to have access with any minors in the future, he's going to no- notify probation beforehand. And information says, no, he can still go to the district judge, to Judge Kelly again, and Judge Kelly can say, yes, he can have So it's it's not like this is the end of it forever, correct?
4: Correct. Uh, the government agrees with both points that Judge Helpy just made. Um, so um, to Judge Sellier's point, whether the court agrees it was forfeited or not um, doesn't ultimately make a difference because there was no reversible error here. What we have, we have a sex offense in which the record shows the defendant did make contact with a self-identified minor, using the very same Instagram and during the same period he's using that account to stalk and harass both Jane Doe's, solicit sexual content from other females on Instagram. Then he contacts still other females on Instagram and exposes himself, masturbating to them without their consent. Although this particular contact, as the defendant argues, may not show that it was sexual or abusive, that doesn't mean that risk wasn't present given the pattern of this defendant's behavior. Um, with this very Instagram account, the government views that contact as indicative of grooming, that that there was a risk there. And again, because this is a relatively weak constraint, it's a pre-approval, not a bar, Um, and assuming that he doesn't switch jobs or um, try to take on new activities involving direct contact with children on a regular basis, it's not even a condition that would be triggered very often. And then, of course, as Judge Kelly said, in imposing it, if it does prove to be a burden um, in some way, come back and seek modification. And, and let me, that, was that, that's what that. I was
3: going to ask. Once a person's on supervised release, contrary to the actual sentence when imposed that the district judge, judge can't modify it or change it, the supervised conditions throughout the whole period can be modified. The defense attorney can file a motion. Can you vacate that condition? Can you modify it? So, again, this is not the end of the world at, regarding that, that condition.
4: Correct. If it proves to be... Um, more burdensome than it looks on its face, uh, not only can he seek modification, but Judge Kelly indicated, um she'd be willing to entertain that, that, you know, we can come back and look at this later if it becomes a problem.
3: Okay, anything else, counsel? Uh,
4: if Go. the court has no further questions, the government will rest on its brief.
3: I don't have any, let me, my colleagues have any other questions? I'm content. Okay. No, thank you. Okay. Then, Ms. Damaso, you have one minute for rebuttal. And perhaps you want, might want to address the supervised release issue briefly.
1: Thank you. Briefly on the supervised release issue, this court needs to look at the condition on its face to determine whether or not it is unduly restrictive, whether or not it was properly explained, and whether or not it was justified by the facts in this case. I would look to cases like Fay and Peraza Mercado that this condition is simply not – sufficiently justified by the facts in this case. We have a single instance where he exchanges a few words with someone who purports to be a 15-year-old. That's it. There's no sending of sexual material. There's no like indication that he's repeatedly contacting this person, trying to get more, trying to engage further. There's no request for anything from this person. It's simply a glancing contact on social media. There's no pattern of seeking out minors, trying to contact minors. Whether or not this condition can be modified in the future does not change the fact that it is currently not justified by the facts of the case, unduly restrictive, and broader than necessary.
2: Okay.
3: Thank you. Is there anything, 30 seconds, you want to add to anything Ms. Eisenstadt may have added or you um...
1: About the supervised release? No,
3: anything else? Uh, very
1: briefly on the notice, I just want to point out that this is a situation where the court had multiple interactions with the parties between the two sentencing hearings, That not only are there three months between the sentencing hearings, but also the court had the parties file reports. The court had the parties in for a status conference. The court received motion from Mr. Leach asking to have the conference be done on video. And still at the second sentencing hearing, the court did not announce its intention to vary upwards before.
3: Which you don't have to do that.
1: Simply pointing out that the part of what causes unfair surprise here is that the court points out some problems at the first sentencing hearing, but none of these issues. And then even at the second sentencing hearing, it does not alert the parties to this before imposing the upward variance. It asks the parties for argument first and then imposes its sentence, which includes the upward variance.
3: Okay. Thank you, both counsel. Uh-